Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is December 23rd. I am David Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. In today's uh, Christmas special sort of episode, uh, we're going to discuss minor league affiliates, the Brewers edition of Tim Lopes, uh, our favorite Miller Park moments, and what Santa Claus should bring the Brewers for Christmas. Uh, joining us on this week's episode is Scott Borkenhagen, the man behind Brewmass.com and Brewmass on Twitter, very popular account. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. Thank you for having me. It's uh, first time I'm on here, and I feel like I'm in good hands. I know you guys run a tight ship, and uh, your your work at reviewing the brew speaks for itself, so I'm honored. Hey, we're honored to have you, man. The we run a very tight ship that's totally not at all influenced by alcohol. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cold brew. What, what do you got over there in that uh, in that beer glass? What do you got? What are you drinking? You you asked. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, I'm gonna shut up. Yeah, this is a Carmelite. Um, it's a beer, I believe, and um. I don't know. It's pretty good. I'm about halfway through it, and I can feel all 8.4% of its alcohol <laughs> content. What, what was it called again? Triple Carmelite, I believe is ah. how you say it. So. Nice. I am I am the classic Miller Lite. Um, <laughs> very straightforward. And uh, Matt, you've got not a beer, but uh, what, what do you got there? No, we're hard cider tonight. Uh, it's prickly pineapple. Uh, cider from Whiter's out in Vermont. It is dang tasty. I'm not gonna lie. Right. I, you know what? As if as long as it's uh, in a can and it has a something percent alcohol by volume, I, I'm usually gonna be pretty good with it. Um, yeah. Sometimes you just gotta take a break. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back to a cold brew for next week. Hopefully. I'm at, I'm at my folks' house right now, so I drink whatever's in the the basement um, refrigerator and. I was happy to find that they have it stocked this year, so yay me. <laughs> In the year of 2020, we all need to keep our fridges stocked mm-hmm. with alcohol, for sure. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh, man. So um, you run Brewmass.com, the, the Brewmass Twitter account, Scott. Uh, what really kind of uh, inspired you to, to start it? When, when did you kind of start it, and, and how are things going over there? Um, good. I started it. It's kind of a long story, but the summary is um, I was kind of disconnected. You know, I'm a physician and um, kind of got lost in my work. I went through a divorce um, and I kind of thought, geez, you know, I'm hitting this middle age period now and I feel like I'm far from the things that make me tick. And one of the things that came immediately to mind when I thought, geez, how do I reconnect to kind of my heart? And myself was the Brewers and the city. Uh, I grew up going to games, probably like 30 a year. Um, and, you know, it was such a important part of my childhood and the connection I had with my brothers. And um, it was cool. I felt like by starting Brew Maths, I kind of brought a lot of that back to life uh, and started to try to connect to the bigger world, uh, Brew Twitter world, per se. Um, and be have a voice, you know, and, and maybe have something to say. And I guess this evidence of that. So um, 
know, accounts like you um, and many others really inspired me when I got Twitter to kind of push the envelope. I felt like the one thing that was maybe lacking is something that I feel like you guys are trying to add to the table is that more objective um, analysis, you know, and the game keeps pushing in that way. And I felt like, you know, how can I augment this with all the nerdy degrees that I have and, uh, <laughs> you know, things that I can bring to the table. And I, I, I tried to do that. And where I'm at now is it's kind of like me. It started off as this big Twitter thing. And now I'm trying to make it a more website based thing where, you know, people can kind of uh, count on content over time. That speaks right to my heart, man. Like I getting into baseball as a kid, you know, I was a stats guy. I, that was one of my favorite things about baseball. So, you know, I'd collect my baseball cards and I'd know, you know, I could memorize that Ricky Henderson in 1991 or whatever had X amount of steals in that year. And like, just all that, the, just those numbers, man, like it's baseball is such a more statistically driven sport than anything else. And so, you know, that that's one of the reasons I always loved Brew Maths and, so, you know, really kind of, you know, when I first saw you out there, really took to it. So I think that's great. I think it's awesome to, uh, you know, bring fans into a numbers driven part of it. Um, and not to mention, like, you are just like you are Mr. Positive out there so often. I think it's so <laughs> great, man, for, you know, we like to talk about Brewers Twitter and, you know, we think we have some of the great, we do have some of the, we don't think, we do have, you know, some of the greatest <laughs> fans out there. Um, but it's because of all this camaraderie. And man, I just, I want to give you props for, you know, kind of leading the charge on a lot of that. The positivity train, just like the Brewers had last year. No problem. Uh, yeah, geez. It, you know, that that makes me, um, I don't want to gush or turn this into a, you know, a gush session, but geez, that is exactly what I'm after. I want to try and um i don't know you know you i hope you guys recognize that even though i'm a nerd i try to make this fun and try to bring uh wacky elements in and stuff and the more people i feel like we can bring into the fold whether it's the nerdy or statistically driven guys or the you know younger people who are just trying to kind of look for uh personalities to connect to in the game and um you know i i, I think one of the things too that that emphasizes that today i i was uh, doing a search to research this uh, through my Twitter account. I was kind of looking for some old statistics. And uh, one of the things that came up was Christian Yelich hits tracker. Um, he had mm -hmm. used one of the videos that I had used of just basically Christian Yelich running the bases. And um, I think it's beautiful. And basketball does such a good job of emphasizing kind of the motion of the game and the poetry of it all. And I think we miss out if we don't do that with baseball. So mm -hmm. I feel like we can kind of all help each other, you know, uh, bring to the forefront the beauty of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that, you know, really kind of does get overlooked in um, today's era. And when we had a pitching ninja front of the podcast on uh, several weeks ago, we we're talking about like that same kind of thing with pitching. Like it's an art form, but it's something that people don't really like the average fan doesn't really like understand or recognize. They just think like, Oh, you're just throwing a ball and the other guy's trying to hit it. It's like, no, like there is so much more to it, to this. Like it, it's the mental aspect of it. it. It's, it's one pitch setting up another and, and getting guys thinking certain ways. And it, it, it's an art form. It really is. And I mean, the same goes for, for pitching as it does base running, as it does hitting as, as it does for, you know, 
really kind of all these things that baseball encompasses. And a lot of people just either don't see it or don't recognize it because I, I think the way that, you know, the national media or whoever covers baseball, it, it doesn't highlight any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there was some of that kicked around uh, over the last year where they talk about how these uh, TV personalities and analysts talk about the game. And uh, I think the consensus that I actually walked away from was that it's pretty negative. People interpret it as they're kind of the old school complaining about the game type of, you know, guys. And um, I think that baseball's aware of that now, and there's this huge opportunity for change. So we'll see which direction it goes. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I think disappoints me is so many of these owners seem to look at this as an opportunity, kind of the um, collective misery that we're in right now. Uh, and you see a lot of the policies and push of the game. You know, if you're talking about where it's going in the future, it seems to be more consolidated. Uh, it seems to be more top driven. Um, you know, and I think that one of the topics we're going to delve into today I, emphasizes that more than anything. Yeah, I, I mean, the the way that uh, baseball has has been kind of pushed with all this and like I, I was watching uh, intentional talk on MLB Network earlier and it was like the final episode of it because Chris Rose didn't get his contract renewed. And like he was talking about like when they started the show like 10 years ago or, or whatever. And like someone was telling us like, why would you want to do a, a show about, you know, baseball players, like ba- baseball players are boring. And Chris Rose, um, he said something that really just kind of stuck out to me. It was like, baseball players aren't, aren't boring. The way we cover baseball is boring. Like, like the way the media covers it is boring. So like what he did, like with his show for the past, you know, however many years, you know, kind of showcasing, you know, the fun and, and exciting parts of, of baseball players and their personalities. Like he was the guy that had Steven Vogt on there doing his little referee routine, like his NBA ref routine. Um, Joey Votto in a, in a Mountie outfit. Christian Yelich was on there today. He was, he was showing around like his home gym, like in his garage or something, how he's got like a, a Derek Jeter Jersey, a Mariano Rivera Jersey and Ichiro Jersey and like all these things in his garage. And it's like, dude, this is, this is crazy to see, but like he's got all this stuff and, and yeah. And, and then what, you know, Rob Manfred, the playground bully of major league baseball is um, trying to, trying to do like, he's got that one baseball plan, you know, where it's just like uniting, like all the baseball things, just like under MLB's umbrella. I'm like, this sounds like a horrible idea. Yeah. It's yeah. an interesting push. I, I think that they, you know, the, the thing that I, I think that, they're justifying it with is that it will be a, a more organized system. But um, I'm sure, as you guys know, there are many gripes, you know, and slippery slopes built into this, too. Yeah, we need more more stories about, you know, fun baseball players and Christian Yelich's home and less uh, John Smoltz bitching during a game about uh, <laughs> Craig Council's pitching management. You know, that's that's the type of thing. That's what you were alluding to earlier is the, the old heads, you know, complaining about the way certain things are going, uh, complaining about Fernando Tatis swinging three oh, and yeah. cranking a home run. You know, those types of things should be fun. Those that that's it. It's the thing we, you know, a lot of us talk about is marketing the game. You know, that's 
what what are the fun aspects about the game that you can either highlight from the games or go over on MLB Network, ESPN, whatever. You know, what are those types of things? Show those to the people. The, in, get new fans by highlighting those things as opposed to pointing out everything that's wrong. I, I think one of my favorite moments of all time is when Craig Council broke John Smoltz in Game yes. 5 of the 2018 NLCS by bringing in Brandon Woodruff after Wade Miley faced one batter. Oh. And John Smoltz was just flabbergasted. Like... <laughs> He definitely yeah. not punching for a little bit. Yeah, it it was great. So okay, so now this has been two weeks in a row now. I, I used ballyhooed last week and and flabbergasted this week. <laughs> so I'm digging deep into the thesaurus and into the dictionary. But you guys should do a word of the week like Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Next time you say either one of those words, I'm screaming. Yeah. Dave, do you know this week's word of the week is flabbergasted? Brought to you by Miller Lite. <laughs> oh, that, that's, there you go. Yeah, because Miller Lite is bringing this to you. Uh, yeah, man, if we could get them as a sponsor of the Cold Brew Podcast, that would be something. Right. Uh, <laughs> Heard of them? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's something that I, I think that was one of my um, my favorite things. Um, but yeah, like, like you were saying. Um, we need to grow the game of baseball and, and reach new fans and younger fans. And I don't think the um, contraction of minor league baseball and having less minor league teams and in turn less baseball is going to be helpful in terms of growing the game. But Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball is just like, you know what? We're going to do it anyways. Yeah, uh... It's it's unfortunate. I know we we touched on it a little bit during. I believe it was with uh, Garrett Green, also a friend of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just how unfortunate it was. A lot of the communities that are now you know losing affiliated baseball for one, but then just losing baseball. Period. Um, it's it, so many fans and so many communities connect with baseball because of being able to go to those you know, minor league type games, you're not having to spend an arm and a leg to go to a Brewers game. You you can get a cheaper ticket. Your concessions are a little bit less. And those minor league teams, they really do, they are all about the fan experience. That's how up until now they were able to survive. So you've got more of these giveaways and you've got, you know, the grounds crew running around and doing goofy little dances while they're, you know, sweeping the field in between innings and, you know, those types of things. And that's what gets a lot of these used to get a lot of these young families really into it. And so to see baseball just say, you know what, this is going to work out better for us, less teams. The rest, we're going to set up these indie leagues or draft leagues or whatever and say what you will about those. Um, But they're kind of on their own now. It's, it's unfortunate. And I really hope I mean, they've got the reasoning behind it, and I really hope it does work out. But it's it, it it's sad for me who looks you know back on young me, um, who would have absolutely just loved the. I lived in a backwoods North Wisconsin town, so we didn't have minor league teams by us. Um, but I would have loved the opportunity back then to just you know go watch a game and see these guys who might be major league players someday come pass through. Yeah, the. the w- great example of what you're talking about is the Burlington bees in Iowa. 
team that was created or founded in 1889, a member of the Midwest League since 1962. Guys like Billy Williams, Paul Molitor, Larry Walker played on this team. They were affiliated with 15 different franchises over that period. And that beautiful dance, you know, where they kind of get to shuffle around and things get reorganized. Um, it, it happened many times to them, but they always found a home. And, um, you know, this contraction we're looking at right now is looking at eliminating 43 clubs that are currently affiliated or were currently affiliated with MLB franchises. And, you know, you, you take the draft then and you crank it down from 40 rounds or down to 20. And, uh, you know, things start to get a little bit more difficult for the small guy. And so you see the middle range and top tier you know, minor league squads kind of get better facilities, better food, you know, better support because of this. But the independent leagues and all these kind of lower rung teams, rookie leagues, they're going to get cut out and left in the cold. Uh, the funding that they used to see and the support they used to see isn't going to be there moving forward. Um, yeah, I don't see how it grows the game to cut that out, but we'll see. Yeah, Rob Manfred, I, I think he's using it because, I mean, there's been a push for a number of years to pay minor league players more because they're currently getting paid like less than minimum wage. And that there's been a huge fight to get minor league players paid, you know, somewhat better. And apparently MLB has decided that, you know, despite, you know, however much that they're making um, in profits each year, uh, that they cannot even pay their players somewhat more. Um, so that they don't have to work a second job in, in the off season, um, so that they can focus more on, on solid nutrition and working out and um, do that in the off season to make themselves better ball players. Because when you're when you're taking away kind of their ability to make themselves better ball players on their own, it, it's there's only so much you can do. It's only going to be the top prospects really that are going to have all the stuff invested in them. They got the big bonuses and whatnot that can really kind of push their way up. For the other guys, it, it's more difficult than really it needs to be. Um, and, and it's just kind of unfortunate the way that whole thing has worked out. And then with the realignment happening um, this year, the Brewers got um, a new AAA affiliate. They lost uh, Rocky Mountain as the rookie ball team. I feel bad for Colorado Springs because mm – -hmm. In the span of six years, they went from the AAA affiliate for the Colorado Rockies, their in-state team, to then AAA affiliate for the Brewers, to then a rookie ball team, to now their independent ball. And I, I feel so bad for, for the people out in Colorado Springs about that. Um, and now the Brewers are down to, to four full-time affiliates. Yeah, it, it was really unfortunate, especially because they did such a great job when they rebranded to the Rocky Mountain Vibes. Oh, yeah. Uh, that toasty. was so cool. Yeah, Toasty, the mascot. Like, that, they had really good social media around it. Um, it just, for for a team that was taking a big hit in affiliation, um, they kind of rolled with it as well as you could imagine. And then, unfortunately, obviously, now they're, They've gone to independent. It's good that they get to continue having baseball in some fashion, um, but sad that, you know, we kind of have to um, let them go. Um, we do now have um, uh, Nashville uh, mm -hmm. back. Nashville sounds are back uh, with the Brewers. And I feel like that just feels more right, not mm -hmm. only because 
you know, we've had them in the past as an affiliate. Um, but Colorado uh, Sky Sox, I mean, that was just that just felt like a nightmare as an affiliate where our minor league, poor minor league pitchers went to die. It felt like. Um, and then San Antonio Missions just, I mean, that was that was a, a good partnership for a little bit, but it just never. I don't know. To me, it just never fully felt natural. Nashville here, you know, not being that far down the road, um, a franchise we're familiar with, it feels good to have them back as a triple A ball club for us. Yeah, it seems like a city that kind of captures the same vibe Milwaukee does. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a mid-sized kind of town. It revolves around the blue collar mentality. Um, you know, you can kind of see how they're connected and, you know, they are geographically closer. Uh, so you can look at the the advantages to certain realignments, you know, in those ways. Um, but like we said, you can't escape the fact that um, the kind of low-rung teams are, are going to have a real hard time finding homes and, you know, even having baseball uh, continue in their stadiums and in their cities. And uh, so many of them are identity formed around these wacky mascots. And these fun, you know, ways that they pitch the game, like you were alluding to before. And, um, you know, does that get lost um, with this new system? I think to a certain degree, but um, I think the bigger concern here, and I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, the old guy barking from the from the, the rafters, but I think does this consolidate to a point where we run into kind of NFL standards, you know, where um, Goodell kind of Manfred like types are calling all the shots, the scheduling can get rearranged how they see fit, the penalties and the player infractions. I mean, it kind of gets a little extreme, I think. Um, And that would be the worry I'd have, would be that this slippery slope leads to further and further marginalizing, you know, the small guy and cutting out these these teams. Uh, Right now, every major league team gets four minor league affiliates. Um, Does that lead to a a point in the near future where it goes down to three or two or um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that um, like, especially when we had Garrett green uh, on and he was talking about um, really kind of taking down the, the number of affiliates and, and what it does to the communities. And I mean, for the players as well, because that's less opportunities for players uh, to have a job and, you know, some of those guys, like, you know, they're not really going to be big league talents. Um, they're organizational fillers. Like, they're guys that will spend a couple years in the minor leagues playing pro ball. Uh, but those guys end up becoming ambassadors to the game, and, and they go back to their hometown. They coach. They um, talk about their experience in pro ball. And, you know, for young kids, meeting someone who played pro ball, even if it was just minor league ball, like, that, that's a huge thing. Right. And, you know, what, what they say carries weight. And, you know, if MLB is just trying to get it where only guys who are going to end up making it to the big leagues uh, are playing in the minors, you know, it, it's really just kind of cutting down on those types of guys like the Nate Orff types or, you know, whoever else, the the low guys on the totem pole that, you know, could come up for a little bit and they could end up turning into something. The, the Justin Topas, the the Orffs and, and guys like that that can – you know, just use an opportunity to, to showcase themselves. Right. So losing that is tough. Um, but, and back to the, uh, the affiliate news, I, I think the death knell for Colorado Springs was not being affiliated with the Rockies. Cause mm-hmm. once the Rockies left them, there was no point in having an affiliate there because, you know, 
when you're up there in Colorado Springs in the high altitude, it's like, okay, th- this is fine for having a team out there if you're training them basically to go to Denver and be in the high altitude. But once like someone else gets in there, it's like, this is stupid. Th- th- this is pointless. So no one else would really want to send their, their affiliates there. The Brewers just kind of got stuck with it. Um, and then with Nashville, um, I, I think it's also a really good partnership because we've got another major minor league partnership with them in hockey because the, the Milwaukee Admirals are the Nashville Predators minor league AHL uh, affiliate. So they've got the NHL team. We've got the, the minor league AHL. And then we've got the major league baseball team. They've got the AAA baseball team. So it, it kind of works out as a, as a pretty good partnership between the, the two sides where both cities can kind of go to each other and, and look at the, the prospects. I could definitely see some four-way cross-promotional opportunities yeah. there. Yeah, I'm totally a, a Predators fan, sort of. I, I'm um, now, why not? Yeah. We don't I have mean, a hockey team. Yeah, like, I, I don't normally, like, watch hockey, like, when it's, you know, the wintertime or whatever and there's no baseball. Like, I'll watch that over basketball, uh, for sure. But, okay, well, the Bucks I, are a Bucks different story. Night. Come on. The, the Bucks are a different story. Like, okay, if there's a Bucks game, that that's one thing. But if it's like, yeah, here's Utah versus Memphis, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna care. But if it's like, hey, here's here's the Vegas Golden Knights against against Nashville, it's like, okay, like that that's something that that I'd rather watch. Um, so yeah, like that, that's just kind of where where I'm at with with the hockey NBA issue. I've never had, you know, in Milwaukee, I think there's a lot of free agent fans because we've never had a team. And yeah. it's just like, you know, you, you kind of gravitate to whatever team grabs you, maybe through video games or sports center highlights or whatever it is. Uh, and right now, uh, there there does seem to be an opportunity, you know, to create more of a partnership between Nashville and Milwaukee. I don't know if they're going to do that, but um, it seems like if you're going to calm some of the fans who are ticked off by eliminating some of more of the, you know, the camaraderie driven aspects of the game, that would be a way to, uh, you know, counteract that. I know for me, one of the biggest things I'm excited about is the uh, um, flip of the A-level teams. So we now Uh have um, Timber Rattlers, our high A affiliates, Um, Carolina moves down to low A affiliates. And I think that's kind of cool because now you have, these players up in Appleton, just to you know, drive up the interstate away, we're just a little bit closer to the major leagues, and so now you can go up there and you can see, you know, Aaron Ashby or Ethan Small or you know players who were at um, uh, low A last year. Well, no, they're they're at high A technically this year, but they're in the same city, so you can you know go up there and maybe catch a game and see some of these guys, you know, before they're gonna possibly end up as future Milwaukee Brewers. Great point. Great point. I think it, it makes, you know, the, the Wisconsin connection a real thing. And if you can start to see a real connection as a fan between a guy's progress as a timber rattler and, his, you know, how he announces himself as a rookie, I think, you know, it draws a lot more people in. And you start to see that as an extension of the Brewers instead of this little team up the road. Yeah, it certainly helps them being affiliated with the Brewers because, I mean, getting guys, um, you know, in or getting fans out there when you're affiliated with 
you know, someone that's not the Brewers in Wisconsin, you know, it's a little bit tougher. But because, I mean, you're going to have Brewers fans out in that Appleton area who aren't going to regularly want to drive down to Miller Park to mm-hmm. see a Brewer game. But you can see Brewers players or future Brewers players down there. You could see guys on rehab assignments, you know, mm-hmm. like the Brewers like to send players down on rehab assignments down to to the Timber Rattlers. So that's something where it's like, hey, Ryan Braun is coming here for a rehab assignment or uh, Lorenzo Cain or Christian Yelich or whoever it is is going down for a rehab assignment. Manny you Pena can, you was can... there for, for like two weeks last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Manny Pena's there. They If they had a season this year, they probably would have sent Corey Knable there for a while. Like, you could see all these all these guys come down and play. And, you know, that, that's something where you can draw a whole lot of fans, you know, coming to that. Because it's like, hey, I can't regularly go see all these guys, but... Manny Pena or Ryan Braun is coming up here and I can spend five, 10 bucks and get a ticket and go in like totally. I'm going to do that, you know? And I I remember seeing some people on Twitter being like, why don't, why don't we just make uh, Appleton a triple a team, you know, because we need, because that way our triple a team can be closed. I'm like, well, it doesn't quite work that way. (laughs) Like (laughs) Appleton is not a big enough city to be a triple a franchise and their stadium's not big enough. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's a good spot for, for high a and, you know, that way for like the younger players, uh, you know, that they can start in a warmer climate in the Carolinas and it'll be really kind of a, a good developing spot. And I, I really think it was the best case scenario when it came to minor league alignment for the Brewers, because for the past couple of years, they've really kind of gotten the shaft with minor league alignment Um, but this really kind of seems like a good one and it's, it sounds like they're going to be locked into this for like 10 years. Um, I I remember hearing the Nashville sounds general manager on, on sports radio down there in Nashville. He said that this is a 10 year agreement with the brewers that, um, that they got offered and currently they're having their lawyers look over the, the player development license and they're trying to agree to that with MLB, but it, it's kind of a, a 10 year thing as opposed to two years, possibly flipping every single time. Yeah. And don't forget uh, when talking about the uh, best case scenario for the brewers, we're also with uh, Nashville coming back. Uh, that's a brand new facility pretty much yes. down there. Um, I, it, it's been a few years, so I don't fully remember all of the uh, situation when they moved on from us. I, I feel like I remember it being a little bit of shenanigans, but Regardless, we got him back now. And so uh, that's, you know, that's great for the players that are going to be down there is that they are going to have, you know, relatively state of the art minor league wise um, facilities that they'll be able to utilize um, on their way to becoming a big leader leaguer. Yeah. All right. So I want to get to um, one of your uh, more popular stats there, Scott, Um, the fan factor stat that, that you created. So. A couple of weeks ago, our bosses over at Fansided or whatever, uh, they created this Fansided 250, like the top 250 fandoms or whatever in sports and, and entertainment. Ooh. And they had the Brewers at 20th in Major League Baseball. We were at like 200-something, <clears throat> like so far down the list. We were behind the Marlins in terms of fandom. We were behind the... The Rays were number four in Major League Baseball. Like, the Rays do not have a top five fandom in Major League Baseball. Like, I am sorry. Like, it, it's not possible. They cannot fill their, their – even their owner jokes about, 
like, you know, oh, like, what if you guys are, you know, limited to like, you know, a certain capacity number? And he's like, we we get at most like 10,000 10, fans a game. Like, I'm not really like we could open up at full capacity and we're, we'll still be fine for socially distancing. So, like, you're really telling me that the Rays fandom and the Marlins fandom is better than Brewers fandom? Like, come on. You, you got to be kidding me. I think that the, the thing that that I get such a kick out of is, as and I went and got the actual numbers here, the thing that <laughs> the worst team in terms of fan factor, and I'll explain what it is in a minute here, are the, the is Miami uh, with a <laughs> score of 0.16. So um, let me explain. Fan factor is just a simple thing that I came up with because I wanted to emphasize how awesome Brewers fans are. Um, and I knew that we had a fervor and a dedication that most fan bases didn't. I was like, how do I quantify this? How do I capture this? And I thought, well, you know, a lot of people in Milwaukee tend to go to games. We have a pretty small city and our population numbers are always, you know, average attendance numbers are always pretty high. Um, you know, we're, how many times have we hit in 2 million fans a year now? I mean, it's pretty regular thing. Um, and so I thought, okay, we'll take the average attendance and we'll divide the city metro population uh, and we'll see what kind of a number we get for each one of the major league franchises in their metro areas. Um, so it's basically an estimate of per capita attendance or the percentage of a metro area that attends each game. And when you do this and you crunch the numbers for every single city in the major leagues, Milwaukee is number one at 2.30. Um, in other words, 2.3% of Milwaukee goes to every single uh, Brewers game, which is insane. Um, and, you know, or, or, or should I say 0.230% of Milwaukee goes there. So it's still a significant portion. The next closest one down the, the, the list is St. Louis at 1.53, San Francisco at 1.41, and then it, the list goes on. But the, the bottom teams... We're talking Miami, the Mets, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Tigers. So either their cities um, are massive and only uh, a small portion of the, the seats are being sold or they're not selling out, like in the case of the, the New York teams, um, or they're, they're just you know poorly attended, not popular teams. And so um, the Brewers, though, are at the top of this list. We have a metro population of 1.5 million, and the average attendance in 2019, the last time we saw fans, um, was 36,090. Uh, so, you know, I, I think what it, it drives home here is that some of these smaller markets really come to show up, uh, you know, and they, they fill the seats and they, they basically keep these franchises afloat. Mark Atanasio said something like, um, Milwaukee punches above its weight uh, in terms of it being a baseball market. And I think that the fan factor, as simple as it is, emphasizes that to a T. Now, I, I, Scott, I was told that the reason our ballpark is filled all the time is because Cubs fans are actually <laughs> helping fill it all the time. <laughs> I mean, have I, been, have I been hearing wrong about this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that the, uh, the the funny thing is, is that, you know, if you look at how many games the Brewers and Cubs play every year, it's about 19, 18, 20, somewhere in there, depending on the year. Mm. And, you know, that's such a small percentage of the overall home games, if you break it down, um, that 
I guess you could say that it, they affect some of the attendance, but it's, it's a very, very small margin. We did, um, let's see, find the Cubs number 11 on the fan factor list at, with a score of 0 0.80. Um, and Milwaukee had a score of 2.3. So we're almost three times better than them. So they're going to have to find a lot of, uh, a lot more people or seats uh, or both, basically, um, to, to kind of get up by us. <laughs> and if they're going to get more seats, they might just need a brand new stadium. Because uh, <laughs> I don't know if Wrigley Field can hold that many more. That's, a, that's an old ballpark. True. Um. All right, I want to get to uh, one of the uh, actual moves that the Brewers make, as David Stearns uh, is alive and, and making some moves. He <laughs> he claimed Tim Lopes off waivers from the Mariners, and David Stearns loves his ex-Mariners players for uh, whatever reason. I mean, he's got a billion of them, and we got what? We got Freddie Peralta, even though that was um, that that was Stearns. Yeah, that was Stearns. Uh, you got Freddie Peralta. You got. Omar Narvaez, you got uh, there. There are so many others. I can't even name them off the top of my head. Vogelbach, yeah, he yeah. was a Mariner. Um, the the list goes on. What? There's the, there's a definite connection between Seattle. I mean Taylor Williams. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's even some lesser known guys that we could get into, but yeah, they, we seem to have kind of like a a pipeline or a underground shuttle type thing going on. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a tube. <laughs> yeah, dealing Stearns or, or slinging Stearns and dealing Jer Jerry Depoto, um, just making moves all the time. Uh, but yeah, Tim Lopes now on the Brewers 40-man roster. He's got speed. That's really kind of the only thing where he's um, really kind of known as, as being uh, uh, good at or, or ranking it above the 50th percentile, according to Baseball Savant. A uh, very fast guy. He's got a little bit of pop, but doesn't make that much contact. Um, but essentially, he's a backup outfielder, and he's going to be probably competing with uh, Tyrone Taylor and Billy McKinney and Mark Mathias for that uh, backup outfielder job. Yeah, um, it, I have to imagine his 2019 season in AAA Tacoma had a lot to do with why he was so enticing looking. 95 games, um, he was back and forth between AAA and the big leagues then. Slash line, so he hit 302. 362 on base percentage. That's very solid, obviously. 838 OPS. Uh, the one season that he went double digits in home runs with 10. Um, 26 steals that season. Only caught nine times. And so, you know, you can definitely see some value there. Um, three, I uh, forgive me if I missed it. Three minor league options remaining. So, yep. you know, you've got a lot of flexibility um, with this guy. And again, it's a waiver claim. Um, it's just taking a chance on a guy and it's way easier to take a chance on a guy if you can stash him in the minor leagues. Um, but as you, David, uh, pointed out in your piece about David Stern's batting average, um, looked at his specifically his waiver claims. Um, and he's been relatively successful in that department, um, which is not a department that's very easy to be successful in. Um, you look at guys in the past, like Jesus Aguilar, um, Jordan Lyles a couple seasons ago, um, Daniel Vogelbach just last season. But to kind of compare him to a recent waiver pickup that was really not thought of much at the time, but ended up paying off pretty big for the Brewers, Eric Yardley last season, 
was when they grabbed him in the offseason, it was just kind of a, okay, here's a guy, he's he's young, he's pitched some games, not actually fully, fully young. Weird one. Pitched some games in the majors, but not a ton. So, okay, we'll see if he makes the ball club. And the guy had a sub-two ERA for us last year, led the team in uh, appearances. So, you know, these guys, it's just taking a chance. It's super low risk. um, And why not? So you never know. And, you know, multifunctional, just the type of player that David Stearns uh, likes. You know, we'll see what happens. You guys said a mouthful there. This this Lopes cat, um, you know, he could go either way. Uh, You look at his two years in the major leagues, 2019 and 2020. Uh, they're very reflective of how his minor leagues went. He went from A to double A, and in those in that jump, um, his WOBA went from 304 to 317 uh, from 23 to uh, 2013 to 2015. The next year in 2016, his WOBA went up to 336 or weighted on base average. And then in 2019, the year that you were talking about, his WOBA was 356. Now this is a 26-year-old guy who's under team control until 2026. He showed steady progression in the minor leagues. Now, he did spend two years at each level in the minors. So um, we kind of glossed over that when I just did my little assessment there. But, um, you know, he, he as he progressed through, he had kind of some steps back. Uh, and let me explain. In 2016, 17, and 19, his weighted runs created – was above 100. Uh, In other words, above what you would expect or above league average. In those seasons, his walk percentage was 9.3, 9.3, and 8.6. His on-base percentage was 358, 338, and 362. So that's what he did, very very similar to that anyway, in 2019 on the major league level. He had an on-base percentage of 359. His weighted run created was 101. Uh, and, you know, he was able to do that with a, a walk percentage of 11.7. In 2020, that walk percentage dropped down to 4.0. And that's exactly what you saw in the minor leagues. If he, if he could not get on base um, via the walk, his on-base percentage suffered, and so did his productivity. Um, you got to get this guy on base because he's fast. Now, he does steal a lot of bases, but he also gets caught a lot. Uh, his stolen base percentage over the last three years, 2017, 18, and 19 anyway, um, has been pretty steady around 70, and it's improved, 68, 69, 74. So you got a burner. Uh, In the major leagues, he stole 11 bases and only been caught three times, Um, so 79%. I mean, you get this guy on base, uh, and he can do things. But like, like I was saying, he struggles sometimes with, um, getting on base, and as a byproduct, uh, he doesn't do much else because he's not much of a power hitter. Uh, at the AAA level, he hit 10 home runs in 2019 at a clip of 37.4 at-bats per home run, which project to 15 home runs over a full season. So, you know, this guy, I think, has a ceiling of being a 275-15 home run type guy who comes off the bench and can be a really good role player steal some bases when you need them. But, you know, there's not enough information here to suggest that there's a lot to, you know, be hopeful for. His exit velocity went up a little bit. His head hard hit percentage almost doubled from 2019 to 2020. Uh, if you look at his pitch values and his plate discipline, 
uh, there's some mixed messages there. Uh, he did struggle much more in 2020 with the fastball. So I don't know what to make of all that, but you get kind of this mixed bag of a guy who, uh, you know, isn't going to hit for a lot of uh, slugging percentage. He's not going to hit a lot of bombs, but if he can be a guy who gets on base, steals bases and plays the field for you, um, you know, you might have a bench guy. Yeah, and I think that's what the Brewers are really kind of looking at, just a bench dude who can fill in every now and then, maybe provide a little bit of pop, a little bit of uh, stealing some bases, and I mean, see what you can get. I mean, that's kind of what Tyrone Taylor kind of is, um, but Tyrone Taylor's also kind of had some small sample sizes, so the Brewers aren't really sure what he's got at the big league level. So in case he's not able to do it, they got um, Lopes that, that can do it. Um, so they're giving themselves some options and depth is the name of the game with David Stearns depth and versatility. So they have that now, um, they have that with Tim Lopes. They got depth in the outfield. They got versatility with them. Um, so all good on that front for David Stearns. Uh, he was a left fielder, a DH or right fielder, a second baseman, a pitcher and a third baseman. So versatility. (laughs) <laughs> Gotta love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the Brewers still have some other places uh, on their roster because the 40-man roster is now up at 37, so they've still got some room to add, and they're going to need to add first base, uh, third base. They, they got a whole bunch of additions they need to make uh, with Christmas coming up. Um, Scott, what do, the Bre- what, what do you want to see under the Brewers' Christmas tree as a gift from Santa Claus this year, like what do you, what do you want the Brewers to get for Christmas uh, this year to help out this team? I, I've been watching the Brewers long enough and, and a fan of David Stearns and this kind of modern era of Brewers baseball long enough to know that predicting anything too concretely is a fool's game. Um, what I do hope is that we use some of that. Um, I don't know if people will get mad at me for calling it this, but that Ryan Braun money uh, that gets freed up. And use that for maybe a big name or two. Uh, we could really use guys at the corners like you've alluded to. I think the pitching staff looks pretty good. Uh, the relief uh, pitching staff might be one of the best uh, bullpens in all of baseball. It's top three, arguably, I, could, I would say. And so even with the loss of Knabel. Uh, so you, you kind of look at if they're going to add pitching, I'm guessing it would be as, as a starter. Uh, you know that they're not going to throw $20 million at a starter. So you kind of look at those mid-range guys uh, that are on the market. And I think there's a lot of those. You see Lance Lynn come off the board and, you know, he's going to kind of start the domino effect, I think. Uh, It's been really quiet, but I'm hoping that, you know, if they do sign somebody for the rotation, which I don't even think is necessary, that it's somebody who can kind of give them uh, quality innings and come in and carry the load a little bit kind of like Anderson did or was supposed to do this year. Um, you know, the, the corners, though, that's the big thing. If we can get uh, two players to produce at the corners or even, you know, like a couple of years ago when we had Thames and Aguilar, if we can get a tandem to produce at first base, uh, that would be ideal. If we go into this season thinking that we can kind of wing it at first and third and see if some role players will fill the gaps, I think we're going to get the same result we did this year in 500 baseball. So my wish list is guys that produce, <laughs> however <laughs> they do it, i.e. La Stella, 
Um, you know, guys that are versatile that we could maybe use at both positions, first and third. Uh, and I'm really hoping that we have guys at the end of the day who contribute to the overall um, ethos of the team like Suter does. You know, uh, I think that's really important at the end of the day. And part of the reason Arcia is still a Brewer is exactly that, you know, the camaraderie effect. Um, let's see. You know, I'm going to be greedy. It's it's Christmas time. I'm, I think I'm allowed to be greedy. It's Santa's already made his decisions on naughty or nice, and so I, th- I think I'm getting presents <laughs> this year. He's going for it. Let's yeah. hear it. So, so I'm going to go with a, a hitter and a pitcher specifically that I would like uh, to see for Christmas here. Um, on offense, C.J. Crone. Um did I did I just steal yours? David? You did. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've talked though. Like we're we're on the same yeah. This guy. Yeah. Um. You know, he missed last year gener- uh, due to injury. Um. He just hurt himself uh, fielding a grounder. So it's potential that the Brewers could get him um, on lower than the I believe six million that he made uh, last year. He's a guy that like I've seen in free agency before and hoped that the Brewers would go after him, but he started getting a little more and more expensive. Um, this guy's had an OPS plus over 100 every single season except for 2017, where it was 98. Still pretty good. Yeah. 776 career um, OPS. Um, just a guy that I think would fit in really well for the Brewers um, at first base there. Would not be a defensive liability like, you know, someone like a Daniel Vogelbach possibly. Um, that's the guy I would like to see. There are some other options as well, um, but he's atop my list. Um, and then on the pitching side, um, I like the fact that Colin McHugh is out there right now and could potentially be gotten for a bargain. Um, he ended up missing all of 2020. Um, he had actually signed with the Red Sox for just 600000 plus incentives, I believe, um, but ended up when he had had off-season surgery and uh, didn't quite respond the way he wanted it to. So he ended up opting out of 2020 um, because of that. I mean, he could be gettable for the Brewers. He's got a career 3.95 ERA. Um, he has starting and um, relief experience, but he did spend four solid years as a starter there with the Astros in a row. Um, fourth in Rookie of the Year voting in 2014. Eighth in Cy Young voting in 2015. Um, he's had a 10 higher um, strikeout K per nine rate for the last couple of seasons before 2020 he could be i i don't fully know that the brewers go and add a starter but if they do i I think he's one who could be in there and i'm surprised that he hasn't been grabbed yet yeah that that's um someone who he kind of sounds like a stern signing you know like just kind of like out of nowhere just just kind of like a name that like is just kind of floating out that's just going to like eat some innings like Brett Anderson was last year. It's like, okay, like I, I knew he was out there. I was never like super excited about adding him, but you know, he's someone that, that has been good and, and has been decent and, and could eat some innings. Um, so, so that's where I could see um, Colin McHugh working out perhaps maybe a bit more than uh, Taiwan Walker, who I'm kind of looking a little bit more at um, as a mid rotation piece. I don't know. I like Walker. I liked him when he was coming up as a prospect with the Mariners and, you know, he's had some injury riddled seasons um, kind of similar to Anderson as well, where he's had injuries just kind of derail him a little bit. And if the Brewers can, can have him healthy, 
uh, he can end up being a, a really good pitcher. So uh, that, that's a guy who, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing under the Christmas tree for the Brewers. Um, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, CJ Crone uh, is a guy that I really kind of got my eye on there for first base. Um, I, I think his market and the whole first base market is being held off on until mm-hmm. there's clarity on the DH uh, in the National League, which is unfortunate for both the players and the teams because a lot can happen and, and there's so much uncertainty where at this point in the offseason, we really shouldn't have that kind of uncertainty. So the, that's a guy that I'm hoping for, maybe not as a Christmas gift because we're probably not going to get this whole thing figured out by Christmas. Uh, but yeah, that, that's another guy that, that I'm looking at, but Taiwan Walker would be, uh, another guy that I think would be a really, really good fit, uh, for the Brewers. Um, let, let so me ask you I'm, guys th- this real quick. Yeah. Where, where do you guys see Lindblom fitting in next year? I've, um, I've, I've got him as the number four starter at the moment. Yeah, I did as well. Um, did a um, piece recently actually about, uh, the, perfect starting rotation for next season for the Brewers. And I actually had Walker over at McHugh in that, but slotted right there in number four as well is Josh Lindblom. Um, I think it was, was it Will Salmon that we had on? Um, other friend of podcasts so. um, who picked uh, Lindblom as one of his top, or it was either him or McKelvey um, who picked him as one of the top possible bounce back candidates for the Brewers in 2021. It might have been Salmon, I think. Okay, that's what that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and so I does this mean like I have that. a lot of friends of friends now? Like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you got the Woo-hoo. the the one or two connections away from from all these guys. All we ever hoped for with this podcast was that we could start name dropping. I mean, really, that was the whole point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Only reason we're doing this. No, not really. Well, now uh, I can too. <laughs> yeah, yep, perfect. Now, now we can name drop Brewmass and, and yep. Scott every, every, for all future episodes. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm sure you've uh, noticed on Twitter over the last um, like week or so, we have been doing uh, kind of the series on the top moments in, in Miller Park history. Uh, Miller Park getting renamed uh, starting January 1st to American Family Field. It was tough coming out of my mouth there, but that's what it's getting renamed to. And so we're going over some of the the top Miller Park moments um, that, that have happened over the years. And, you know, some of our favorites, uh, Matt and I worked on on the list and, and making sure we had some of the some of the big stuff covered. But, Scott, I want to ask you, what is your favorite uh, Miller Park moment? there's kind of, I was thinking about this and this is probably what I thought about the most before we recorded here. I wanted to get it right, you know? Um, And after thinking about all of the moments and how they personally impacted me, that Niger Morgan moment, I know it's cliche, but it still gives me goosebumps. I could watch that uh, replay anytime, anywhere, regardless of what mood I was in and I'd be better off for it. You know, it's something that always kind of, um, takes me back to that place when I see that highlight. Uh, And I I guess when I started to think about it, all the moments, if you summarize it, were reflective of that mindset that we might belong here. You know, the big stage, the big moments where we take out one of these bigger teams um, and in a grand fashion, that was game five when Morgan did that and inning 10. Uh, So, you know, you don't get much more dramatic than that to go to the 
uh, next level, uh, the, the LCS. So, I mean, that was uh, a great one. And then I think like personal moments, I've been to so many games and the moment that stands out the most to me um, is, <laughs> is when Lorenzo Kane pulled that uh, base move on the Cubs. Yes. I was in, oh. in left field and I was in the back of the highlight. And so that's like my small claim to fame, but I'm so glad that there's proof that I was there and, <laughs> and uh, cause I'll never forget it. And um, you know, all the Cubs fans around us in the bleachers, you know, you start to feel outnumbered with the booze at times and the, the cheers in the opposite direction to have Lorenzo Cain, like basically pull their pants down in front of everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it shut everybody up. Um, and I don't know if everyone who's listening remembers, but, but just Google Lor- Lorenzo Cain fools the Cubs on the base paths. Um, and I'm pretty sure it'll, it'll be up there. In fact, it's on my website. I have a whole page dedicated to it uh, and wrote a poem about it. So that's probably my personal moment that, that really sticks out. <laughs> he did it twice too. Like, like he did it um, the, yes. the year later. Yeah, I think that one was at Wrigley, though. But, yeah, like he did it to him twice, and they still haven't learned. Uh, amazing. Uh, Matt, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, Nigel Morgan, Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez is, is one of my all-time favorite brewers. For, so for him to be involved in that as well was like yeah. that makes it a big memory. I, unfortunately, was at work that night, and so I had to listen to it in the back room. Um, this, at the, the back stock room of a target, um, on our radio. And I went nuts when it happened. And there was actually a, a guy who was in shopping with his wife and he was looking in the window, trying to figure out what was going on. And I stepped back out on the sales floor and he goes, was, was that the Brewers game? I said, yeah, they just won it. And we kind of, kind of gave each other the little solid head nod there and went yeah. our separate ways. Um, <laughs> In terms of games that I was at, um, as much as I really want to say, CeCe's, I think it was first start with the Brewers when he punched the home run to right on top of it. Um, I was sitting just inside that foul pole. But the Prince Fielder inside the park home run um, Uh. was just something that, probably one of the craziest things I'll ever see at a (laughs) baseball game. And it was hilarious because... You know, the hit happens and you're watching the actual hit. So you see the ball, you see it in the fence, and you see the arms go up on the, I believe it was Blue Jays outfielder. But then you look at Prince and he's still running. He's at about the shortstop at this point and he's still running. And the entire 30,000 plus or whatever full of Brewers fans in the stadium all realized at once what was happening. And just started going nuts. And then, of course, they try and get the ball back in, and it doesn't happen. And Prince has an inside-the-park home run. It just – everyone just seemed completely bewildered. Like, what did we just see? Did, that really just happened. This is going to get challenged. Did Prince right? Fielder hit an inside-the-park? Yeah. Like, seriously? One of two Prince Fielder inside-the-park yeah. home runs. He has more inside-the-park homers than Ricky Henderson. I just like. saw that the other day. It's so incredible. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Um, for me, I was at game 162 in 2008. I, I was there. Um, I got the streamer uh, up in my room to prove it. Um, that was one of the craziest things for me. Um, just kind of being there watching that, that game, just kind of feeling the, the tenseness. Um, 
hearing the crack of the bat on, on Braun's homer, just watching it go up, and then just everyone just, just jumping up and screaming. Um, watching the, the Mets-Marlins game on the Jumbotron, uh, watching the final out. Because the final out, like, like there was a runner on first. Like, the Mets were down by two. There was a runner on first, and the final out was a fly ball to deep center. And, like, I'm just like, oh, my God, like, this ball is going out. Like, it, it's going to be tied. And it's caught, like, on the warning track. And then we all just go nuts. And, like, all the streamers, the confetti coming down, everything. Like, that was crazy. Um, another one, although this wasn't, um, like, postseason or, like, end of the season, I was at opening day in 2019 when Lorenzo Cain had the robbery uh, of the Cardinals of Jose Martinez and, and chucked the ball up in the air. It was like, not today. Um, yeah, that one was, was another, uh, another really good one. Um, but yeah, like those are really kind of some of the top stuff that, that I was at. I was at, um, games two, six and seven of the NLCS in, in 2018. Um, I was not at game one and I was so mad because like, you know, the Woodruff Homer happened in game one and, I was at a high school football game because I was the radio broadcaster for like for Sparta high school football that year. So I had to be there calling this high school football game. And I get the notification on my phone. Brandon Woodruff hits a home run to center field. I'm just like, what? <laughs> like I couldn't even like watch it live or anything. Um, I was able to like go home like the next day for game two and everything. And then they lost game two. And it's just like, well, this is kind of a waste, but yeah, that was um, that was some crazy times as well uh, in, in 2018. So exactly like I was talking about, where it's a big stage, it's a big moment. It's like yes, we belong uh, the, against the Dodgers in Kershaw, uh, yeah. bona fide Hall of Famer. Yeah, man, I, it, the Brewers don't get a lot of those moments, and so I think our fan base, um, you know, especially when they're at home, we savor them. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be all the time we have for this week's uh, episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Scott Borkenhagen of Brewmass, uh, thank you so much for for jumping on the pod this week and, and talking some baseball with us. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. Anytime, man. So uh, that'll do it for us this week. Um, be sure to enjoy uh, your Christmas and your holidays with all your families, everyone. Um, we'll be back again next week uh, as we kind of, you know, wrap up the whole year. It's, it's, we're finally almost at the end of 2020 uh, and we can get into 2021. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it's going to be a lot better. Uh, fingers crossed on that one. So be sure to check out, um, brewmass.com, check out, uh, the brewmass Twitter account, follow him, uh, if you haven't already, uh, follow us at Reviewing the Brew and, and follow our, our podcast account at uh, Cold Brew underscore pod. Um, so that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thank you for joining us and, and tuning in. So for Scott, for Matt, uh, I'm Dave Gasper. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Cold Brew Podcast.